Welcome to the 2011 Region 2 Convention. My name is Pat. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this session. Hi, Hi everybody. Please help us preserve our cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting uh, session. Will everyone who cares to please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind be done. The title of this panel is Making a Decision, Step 3. The format for the session is a reading from our literature, three speakers, and questions from the Ask It basket. As the speakers are sharing, we will pass around a basket with paper and pencils for you to write any questions you may have. Please specify if you are directing your question to a specific speaker. Please be sure to keep the basket moving, even if you have already passed it. As speakers continue to share, members may think of questions that they did not have when the basket passed the first time around. May I have a volunteer to read a selection from page 61 of Voices of Recovery? I have it up here. Hi, I'm Scarlett. I'm a grateful compulsive reader. What freedom I've found in knowing that when I work step three and turn my will and my life and my food over to my higher power, I am no longer powerless. The big book tells me that a new power flows in. I am then empowered to make healthy choices. Abstinence is no longer the struggle it was when I was trying to abstain by willpower alone. Allowing this new power to flow in constantly and consistently throughout the day, I see that cravings are not commands and relapse is never inevitable. I can do this. I can move through this day abstinent and free. I now affirm abstinence is the easiest thing I have ever done. Our first speaker is Victor A. from Los Angeles, who will speak for 12 minutes. Good morning. Uh, let's see, just a couple of little bit of background information. Um, I was in my first 12-step program a little over 30 years ago, and that was as a result of uh, waking up one morning and being a single dad, taking a head count and realizing, hmm, there's only three people here, not four. And then 20 years ago, um, I took my wife to the hospital because we were losing the son that we were hoping to have. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. And within about a space of uh, a week, I remember walking up to her with something clipped out of one of the local newspapers. You've probably all seen this where they show you, if you give us your body and a few thousand dollars and six weeks later, you're going to look like this. <laughs> and of course, what they never do is they never show you what that person looks like six seconds, six minutes, six hours, six days six weeks, six months, six years after that. They've taken the snapshot and made perfection that nobody can sustain for their entire lifetime. I can hold my stomach in for a certain period of time, but eventually I've got to breathe. Um, the reason I say that is, is that I remember walking up to her, and I'm very grateful that it was one of, the, one of the at least few times in my life, hopefully not too few, that I listened to my wife, and I said to her, 
I don't want to do this that's in this picture, but I have a problem with food and I can't do anything about it by myself. And once again, this is the one time I paid attention, she said, do you think you maybe you'd like to go to OA? And after I ran screaming out of the room saying, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously, it was one of those moments, those seminal moments in life where I've discovered that sometimes in life, things have to be taken away from us for us to get have our attention put on the things that we need to in our life. And at that moment, without realizing it, I had done the first step with my wife, which was I admitted to the fact that I was powerless over food. And I know we're on step three, but I'm getting into that because there are the two other steps very quickly. And the reason I say that was is that there was a time when I turned 21 and left the religion that I was brought up with at that particular period of time. And uh, I took the position of you couldn't prove God existed and you couldn't prove that he didn't exist. And so I had this nice fence-setting position of being an agnostic for 11 years. And I discovered like the kid with his hand in the cookie jar Sometimes he's got his hand in the cookie jar and he's got so much stuff in his hand that he can't pull his hand out of the cookie jar. And as a parent, somewhere along the line, you've got to come and just gently, you know, try and put it down. And occasionally, sometimes, it requires more than just a gentle nudge to be able to remind me that there are certain things in life that if I do them, are not good for me. So every morning when I wake up and have for 30 years now and 20 years in this program, the first thing that I do 95% of the time, and I'm not perfect, so it isn't 100% of the time, is that I go through the first three steps, and I really try and not do them by rote, but when I especially get to the third step, that's the point where I need to make a decision. By the way, for those of you who don't want to do anything more than a decision, remember that a decision is just that. It's not an action. I can make a decision at the end of the third step, and... and pray from my heart the third step prayer, but that isn't getting into the fact where I may have to take the actions that I might do to genuinely turn my will and my life over to the care of my higher power as I understand my higher power. So if you want a little bit of a legal out, remember when you make the decision, that's all it is at that particular time. And I'm going to jump ahead for just a little bit to illustrate that as well, too. It's like when I'm writing fourth step, I have to really remind myself that it's important that this isn't for my grammar, it isn't for my spelling, it isn't for my teacher, it isn't for publication, and if I want to, I don't have to show it to someone else. And the reason I say that is, is that I'll get so hung up on making it perfect and making me look a little bit less like the villain before I get to the point where I'm going to show it to somebody. And I bring that back to the third step as well. All I'm asked to do is make a decision in the third step. I'm not asked really at that moment to do anything else other than that. But that's one of the sneaky, subversive things of all the steps as they happen to be written is, is that one step does lead to another one. And at this particular point, that's all I really have to do is make a decision. The thing that I've come to include in my third step prayer, which is not part of anything official, but really the third step prayer in the big book, it really is just only a suggested guideline. You can make up whatever you want to. And the most important thing is uh, if it comes from the heart. There's a story about a young boy who is in a particular house of worship. And this man walks in and he hears the boy reciting the alphabet. And some of you have probably heard this before. And he's 
afterwards, after everything is done, he walks over to the young boy and he says, I'm sorry, young man, but don't you, you know, why are you here? You don't seem to know your prayers. And he says, he turns up to the man and he says, you're right, I don't know my prayers, but I know my alphabet. And I can say them and God can put them together for me in words. And this is what I do when I get to the third step. Is I really don't necessarily know everything I'm going to need to do in life as, it, as I get down the road and the day unfolds. Um, but what I can do at that point is, is that, and what I once again include now in my third step prayer, is, is that I, when I recite and hopefully feel the third step prayer, I also have included without reservation that particular phrase in the third step. Because I'm always the kind of person who wants to hedge my bet. I really don't want to have to turn over my will and my life 100% over to the care of anyone other than myself because my ego tells me that I'm the center of the universe. I'm the only one that can make good decisions about myself. And that's not true. That's a lie. And that's a lie that's been perpetrated by my own brain against myself for a long, long time. As I tell people, once I start having a debate with myself, it's guaranteed that one thing is going to happen and that's I'm going to lose. <laughs> this is just the way it is. And so if I'm willing to let go of my preconceptions of how I think life should work and that there may be something out there greater than myself that can help me be restored to sanity, then I need to make that decision. And for me, it means getting down on my knees. You don't have to do it that way, but this is what I do. And what I find myself going through the third step prayer and I find myself all of a sudden I'm 95 or even 100% through it and I just realize... What did I just say? That's a real important indication for me that I need to stop for a moment. And I don't necessarily have to go through the whole prayer again, but I need to really stop and understand what I'm doing, and I need to do it with a certain amount of conviction. And oh, by the way, having done that at maybe 6 o'clock in the morning by 10 o'clock, I have fully taken my will and my life back into my own hands. And I may have to revisit that again and be able to you know, do that more than once uh, at a time. I know somebody that I sponsor say, well, if I got, if I did that, I'd be doing nothing for the rest of the day. And I said, well, think of the alternative, which is for me is I'm going to be sitting there and obsessing about food for the rest of the day and what it is that I'm going to be able to score and what I'm going to be able to do with it and how I'm going to be able to do that without, you know, gaining any weight. How am I going to do that with all the other things that we come along and try and manufacture our own mind to justify doing what we want to do, which I'm trying to say is I'm certainly not perfect. Um, I can strive for perfection, and it's better to do that and miss the mark than strive for the imperfection that I used to and hit the mark. And I was very good at hitting the imperfection mark, I can tell you right now. Um, the thing that I'm grateful for is, is that food is only a symptom. I'm grateful that I've been abstinent for 20 years now, one day at a time, but it's only a symptom. It could have been anything else. I sort of jokingly tell people, uh, well, the first part is not a joke. I am part Mexican, Irish, uh, Cherokee, and uh, Spanish. If you have problems with Mexican and Spanish, I can explain that to you afterwards why I think that is. And that I don't have a drinking problem. But it just happens to me that it, the way that my particular outer manifestation of my inner lack of self-peace by turning my will and my life over to higher power happens to be food. That's just the way it is. Um, I learned that at my mother's knee, and I'm also very grateful to say that I've also forgiven her for that too. I'm also grateful to say that, you know, 
I'm not grateful, but I do understand that at over 330 pounds, and I know that's how much she weighed because that's as high as the scale went in our house. She was born in 1912, and their OA wasn't around. And, excuse me, sometimes I get to the point now where I can only try and imagine what it was like being who she was. and not having 12 steps in the program and people to be able to give her the strength to do what she needed to do. The important thing I've learned is, is that not to... I don't need to talk over my feelings. I don't need to change them. And I wasn't even expecting this a moment ago. And that's okay. Because having turned my will and my life over to the care of higher power, I know that these things are not going to kill me. Whether it happens to be anger, whether it happens to be sadness, whether it happens to be grief, none of these things are going to kill me. And having that one more bite of food is not going to fix it. And so it's with a tremendous amount of gratitude after all of these years that I still am grateful when I can wake up in the morning and know that there is a path that I can take if I choose to do what I need to do. And for me, that means getting up in the morning and many times during the day to make the decision to turn my will of my life over to the care of uh, the higher power that I have in my life. And by the way, if you want to hear how I really pray to my higher power on some occasions, you can probably see me afterwards because I try and keep my the level of four-letter words down when I'm sharing on a podium like this. But the thing of it is, is that the thing I do understand is, is that one of the one of the strongest connections I have with my higher power is through my emotions and through the other people that I have around me as well too. Because if I cut myself off from my feelings, then I've cut myself off from the sunlight of the spirit that's been given to me on these programs all these years. So. The hope that I leave for you today, if you're new in the program, old in the program, uh, if this is your first meeting or your 576,000th meeting, is, is that just one day at a time, I can make a decision to turn my will and my life over to a higher power and to the care of a program that allows me to define whatever that higher power needs to be for me at the moment. And as I heard somebody in the previous uh, panel say, it can be your dog, I've heard for Pete. Some people say it's the doorknob over there, but certainly the one thing I really know is that the power that are in these rooms, whether you can prove God exists to me or not, is much, much greater than any of the slight wisdom that I think I've had for all of these years. It's my privilege to be here today and to share with you, and I thank you for letting me be part of this group, and thank you for being here today. Our second speaker is Debbie B. from Los Angeles. Debbie, I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, you haven't heard what I have to say yet. I don't know why you're clapping anyway. Um, And uh, I am a fill-in for um, somebody else. And... um, 
I was talking to my sponsor with somebody else prior to this, um, and um, what she was saying is that this is about taking actions that we don't want to take every day, all day long. And, you know, I, my normal thing to be doing on Saturday morning is uh, I'm part of a running group, and the long and the short of it is, you know, I... Um, I was asked to do something and I show up and I do it. And, you know, um, I've been in, I, I'll back up, I've been in OA 18 years. Um, and um, uh, I come from a family of compulsive overeaters. My mother, my sister, and my father have all passed away, um, pretty much products of this disease. So, um, I come by it honestly, um, and uh, I've been a compulsive overeater since I can remember. I'm also a sober alcoholic, and the way that I got to OA is 20 years ago I got sober, and um, I have struggled with food, but I had been on a diet. I was very thin. I stopped drinking and went insane with food. and. When I say insane, thank you so much, Victor. I mean, I was playing mental tennis all day long. I will eat it, I won't eat it. I'm going there, I'm not going there. And it was like all day long, all that noise in my head. And um, for 18 years, my food has been highly imperfect, but I perfectly abstained from bread and bread-type products and uh, sugar and sugar-free desserts. And I will tell you that if I ever doubt that there is a God working in my life, all I have to do is say that. Because there is no way that I can abstain from that stuff for one day. I can't on my own power. Um, and uh, I, um, I am a uh, part of the educational variety. If you're new, um, the big book talks about having a spiritual experience. Um, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous had kind of a burning bush spiritual experience. Most of us, or for myself, I can say that I have had the educational variety, which means that sometimes I have to write down the facts, and then I get it if I look at the facts that um, there has to be a God operating in my life. And when I came here, I was really special and unique because I was sure that God was taking care of you, but poor me, God was not taking care of me. He, you know, I felt very, very divorced from God um, and very separated from the religion that I grew up in. And I, you know, I had made food, alcohol, money, and blah, 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 cigarettes my higher power and there was really no room for God work um, and it says in the big book either God is or he isn't and you know if it comes down to that for me there's no doubt in my mind because like I said the facts add up to that God is um, when I came here I I could not imagine living life the way that I live life today Honestly, I exercise every day a very small amount, 
no matter what. And I would say that's imperfectly for probably about 16 years. I had to pray on my knees, which is not how I grew up. I had to get over the mental part of that. But pray on my knees for a year and a half before I became willing to exercise. And, um, you know, the, the making a decision part of it um, is um, sometimes just to keep taking actions we don't believe in over and over and over again. Sometimes I don't see results, but because I've been told to keep taking the actions, I keep taking the actions. And at some point, something happens. And I am probably one of the most impatient people you will ever want to meet. So for me to keep taking actions and not get the immediate result is, um, it's difficult. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody who, the person who was supposed to speak on this panel, and um, we were talking about needing relief. And I have to tell you, every day I feel like I need relief. And, you know, the fact that the steps, and specifically two through nine, are, uh, or one through nine, are designed to very slowly do for us what food did for us very quickly. You know, it's the relief. And um, uh, step three, it says in the big book, is immediately followed um, by a vigorous course of action or something like that. Don't trust my quoting. but And that vigorous course of action is writing an inventory and taking steps four through nine. And if you're new and you don't know about four through nine, I'm happy to answer any questions afterwards or, you know, show you the big book. And um, when I take step three, when I say my prayers in the morning and at night, I ask God to keep me sober and absent in the morning, and I thank him for doing so at the end of the day. And I have to tell you, it's very easy to say the prayers by rote after you've done it, you know, umpteen times. So part of uh, what I have uh, tried to do is to do, like, um, sign language in my mind, like, you know, God, I offer myself to thee, and like to imagine myself offering myself to thee, you know, to build with me, to, you know, imagine the physical um, acting out of the prayer. Um, thank you. I was in the play last night, and if you've never done any kind of OA service like that, it is so much fun. I don't know how to sing, and um, my friend, who is my higher power, uh-huh. No, my friend told me, you know, show up and you can do this. And I'm not an actor, and it probably anybody that saw the play, it's abundantly clear to you that I'm not an actor or a singer. But, you know, there again is an, another, you know, taking actions that I don't necessarily think that I can take. And um, it was so much fun. And um, the play means a lot to me personally. We did it a year and a half ago for um, the OA birthday party. And one of the songs in the play is about step three. And it um, talks about, look at me on one knee, time to make a decision. Um, guess I must learn to trust. 
<clears throat> a, uh, something that's hard to envision. Um, and, you know, I listen to that song, and I swear to you, I've listened to it 500 times, and I get the chills every single time I listen to it. Because it, for me, the play, the way it was written is very inspired. And, um, you know, the one, two, three song about taking the steps, things like that are things that I can relate to. And I find myself seeing that, you know, one, admit we're powerless, you know, that silly little song all the time. And, you know, if that's the way that God carries the message to me, I'm, you know, I need things really simplified. I am a very complicated person. I can make anything complicated. Um, and, in fact, when I first got here and I wrote my first inventory, I looked at it in the big book, and I said, that doesn't make any sense. What is that going to do for me? And I put it away, and I wrote my own kind of inventory. So, um, you know, I can muck anything up. Um, Anyway, I, uh, when I was new, I used to call my food in every day to my sponsor. Uh, my deal with my sponsor is that um, I call it in. I can make changes if I want, but I have to call first. And um, that, you know, committing my food is an act of turning my will and my life over to the care of God because Excuse me, once it's out of me and committed to somebody else, or once I've written it down, it doesn't belong to me anymore. And uh, I did that for several years, and then I didn't. And um, I don't even remember. I think it was about three years ago. I was struggling with um, my food, and my sponsor, who has probably 25 years in this program, um, said, well, I just started committing my food again. How about you do that, too? And, um, you know, it's a relief sometimes. Um, and the reading um, talked about, you know, that abstinence is the easier, softer way. And I would have to tell you that that has been the truth for me, is sometimes just, you know, please, you know, take it. I don't want to play that mental tennis. I don't want to think all day long, I will eat it, I won't eat it. And um, it's a relief to do that. And I can also play the mental tennis with what I ate two days ago. You know, I'd weigh five pounds less if I hadn't eaten blah, 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 blah. So um, in order to do that, I write my food down. The minute I write it down, after I've eaten it, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to God. And, you know, when I start doing that garbage in my head, I remember I wrote it down, doesn't belong to me anymore. And that is a major, major relief. And I'll tell you, the greatest way that, uh, the greatest gift this program has given me is um, the privilege of working with other people, and specifically people who are new. Um, there is no greater gift in my life than to see the lights come on for somebody and to see somebody you know, get two days of abstinence, um, that for me is the gift at, um, at the end of the day, you know. And if you're new, I would encourage you to please stay long enough to get the gifts that we have gotten here. 
and if you're new and you're struggling with calling people, you are giving us a much greater gift than we can ever give you. So I would encourage you to reach out. Please call us. Um, and um, thank you very much for letting me speak today. And our third speaker is Benji from Simi Valley. I love that name, Benji. I feel like a dog. Um, just to qualify, hi, I'm Ben, compulsive overeater. Um, I've been in program 16 years. Um, my top weight was 400. I'm five years, uh, six months, eight days abstinent at uh, goal weight now. So uh, I now weigh uh, 180, and I was 400. Um, and I always uh, bring my picture because um, I always love the reaction I see on people's faces when they look at it. They're kind of like, <coughs> what the? So um, if, would you, or I'll just give this to you if you don't mind. Thank you. Um, this, when I came into program, was one of the hardest steps to do to turn my will and life over to the care of God as I understood that you know, as God. But uh, once I did that, it became the easiest part of this 12-step program for me, if that makes sense. Um, my will was so um, tough that I refused to accept there was anything out there. Um, but it's amazing, just by turning it over, how much weight you lose in your head. Because I, I may not look like I'm 400 pounds on the outside, but trust me, I'm 400 pounds in my head right now. And um, I was upstairs having breakfast and at the restaurant, and I'm doing people's inventories of what they're eating. And I'm eating through them, you know. It's like, you know, I just had my egg white omelet and cottage cheese, and they're having all that stuff. And I'm like, you know, that's fine. None of my business. This is what I need to eat to be alive today. And how this step really pertains to my story is that this is saving my life right now. Uh, last April, um, I was dying, you know, not, well, from this disease. It happened because of this disease. I'm physically dying. Um, uh, my, um, as you might remember, the actor John Ritter, he died of an aortic dissection, and uh, he had, a, like, an A, the aortic dissection A. Uh, what I had was an aortic dissection A and B. And that's because um, when you go up and down in weight and uh, taking your will back to eat what you want and then turning it over to work your program again and then taking your will back, you do the yo-yo. And we all do it, and it's okay, but it's important for me in this, my story, to tell you there is a price to pay. Because um, I was sleeping with my daughter at 3 in the morning because she had a nightmare. She, she came to bed and... And then um, our son was screaming, so my wife went to sleep with him. And in the middle of the night, around 3 a.m., my, my chest started hurting, started caving in. Thought, you know, maybe it'll go away, maybe it's gas, heartburn, whatever. And it just got worse and worse. It felt like 5,000 pounds was crushing in on my chest. And I thought, oh, no, I'm having a heart attack. And I call out to my wife, and before I know it, she leaped out of bed, she, you know, literally from the bed onto her feet, called 911. They rushed me to the hospital only to find out um, I had one hour to live. And right then and there, I turned my will over to the care of God. 
and were, I freaked out at first like anybody else would um, when they said, well, let me backtrack a little. Um, after they found out you have this, there's no warning signs, by the way. When you get it, you get it. And the mortality ratio is usually one hour. And if they don't get you to the hospital in time, you'll die within that hour. So they took me to the hospital where I live in Simi Valley. They diagnosed me there, but they didn't have a cardiac unit at that time. So they had to rush me to Oxnard. And I remember being in the, the ambulance with, you know, all these medics putting things in my chest and my arms. And I just go to the paramedic and I go, are we going to make it? And he goes, um, I don't know if you're going to make it to the hospital, but if you go, you're going to go quick. And all of a sudden, a peace came over me. I didn't expect that to happen. You know, a peace came over me. I was, I was like, okay. I was like that. I was fine. You know, I, I felt really horrible and guilty that I leave behind my best friend who's my wife, but I have a, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old child. And that I felt horrible about because I'm making them pay for my disease. We never think about that, do we? When we're out doing our thing with our food, how people close to us pay the penalty. We might gain the weight and the insanity, but they gain the consequences. Because I remember I made it to the hospital. They had a surgical team standing by, um, and I was on the clock. And there wasn't a, you know, I had less than a 20% chance of surviving the surgery. And before they let me in, you know, um, a priest came to give me last rites. Now, if something won't totally mind F your head than having someone give you last rites. And they're like, what's your religious preference? I'm like, I don't care. Bring someone here. You know, <laughs> I, at this point, I, you know, I don't know if I made amends, if I finished everything, but I want to make sure I go up there and not down there. And um, I can only imagine, you know, hell would be like a Denny's. So uh, <laughs> it's a continuous grand slam or something like that. Um, that would be hell, wouldn't it? Hi, welcome to Denny's. No. Um, so I had the surgery. I had to have three open hearts a week apart from each other, meaning they had to crack my chest open, put it back together. A week later, crack my chest open, put it back together. I had this beautiful scar of being a compulsive overreader going from here all the way down here. And um, I'm still suffering from that to this day. Um, I had a, a mild attack a couple of days ago, and when I went to uh, coincidentally visit my cardiologist, they had to take me back to the hospital, and I had to go through that um, CT scan, which for for all those compulsive overeaters, you're lying down and it looks like you're going through a white donut, and it, and that's what I keep thinking because I am a compulsive overeater. I'm like, where are the sprinkles? You know, I'm like going in and out. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna stay clean on that, and. Um, what we're going to um, do is then they said we're going to inject this dye. And so, you know, the dye goes in and burns and it heats up your whole body. I've had this done so many times. Again, paying for the price of being a compulsive overeater. And I got to tell you guys, thank you. I got to tell you guys, um, two things got me through this. Turning it over and humor. Remember, it says in the big book, we are not a glum lot. It's okay to laugh at yourself. I laugh at you guys all the time. <laughs> I mean, look at us. We're in a beautiful hotel, 
and we're here talking about you know compulsive overeating. You know, it's 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 great. It's it's fantastic. How lucky are we that we have one another in this room, different nationality, different races, different sexes, and yet we all share this common disease of that we're powerless and that we have to turn it over. So um, I, I suffer from uh, these major muscle spasms, heart pains all the time. I have to take 18 medications a day just to stay alive. And that's what's going to happen to all of you in this room if you continue to go up and down. Um, my wife says there's a reason why I was spared. I mean, think about it, 20% chance, three open hearts, you know, because you're supposed to carry this message. And, and that's what I'm trying to do, saying don't wait for your program to turn it over in your food plan and your sponsor. Don't be that choosy of who you pick. Get somebody who has what you want, at least for now. Just get somebody. Don't sponsor yourself. Because how I got where I'm at today and how I you know, almost you know, died was because I kept putting off the program to another week. Okay, next Monday. I will start eating and get a sponsor, do the steps. Next Monday, I'll do that. And next Monday, and next week, because, you know, once you start your food plan and you mess up, what are you going to do? You're going to mess up that whole day and say, oh, it's okay, I'll start the next day or I'll start next week. Don't wait for the next Monday. Today is what day? Monday. Today is Monday. Today, start your program. Today, get a sponsor, work the steps. Today, do your best to turn it over. I can't tell you. When someone's telling you you're going to die and you're given less rights, everybody else was freaking out, and I was like, I was at peace. Not because I was going away, but because I trusted my higher power is going to take care of my family. I trusted that my higher power is going to take care of me. And um, that saved my brain. Every night I wake up at 3 o'clock. Every night. I have to take two different sleeping medications just to go to sleep because I have this artificial heart valve in my second surgery. Guys, when I come up, you can touch it. It beats like a drum, and it continuously wakes me up. And it's weird that I wake up at 3 o'clock every morning because that's when the attack happened. Um, so I have to take all these medicines to stay alive. I have to take all these medicines just to try to get a good night's sleep, and I don't. All these things that I'm suffering with, you don't have to if you just turn your will and life over to the care of God as you understand your higher power. It's really no alternative. You can do what you want, do it your way, make the food, make yourself your higher power, and then you can share a hospital room with me. I definitely shortened my life. The doctors told me that. You know, I'm a... They told me I'm actually a page for the medical books because I wasn't supposed to make it. So all these symptoms I'm suffering from is uh, symptoms from a dead person, which is weird. So I'm just passing this message on to you. You have a choice. You have the time. You know, I'm okay with what was given to me because I. Uh, it's not like I didn't ask for it. I mean, I've been in program 16 years, and I got over five years. You do the math. It's okay to yo-yo. It's okay to do, work this program the way you want. It's okay to do whatever you need to do. But at one point, you're going to have to realize today is Monday, and I have to start it today. Thank you.
anyone know where the Asket Basket is? And we will now have questions from the Asket Basket for our panelists. I want my spiritual program and my physical program to stay balanced. How do you keep from becoming a jerk? <laughs> I get confused about what God wants me to be. Who'd like to tackle that one? We've been talking about this. I've been trying to figure out whether that's for popcorn or KFC. Anyway. <laughs> God, I really wish I could tell you I was never a jerk along the lines of any of this, but that's not the truth. Um, I'll refrain from the description of the part of my anatomy that that's what I have been many times in my life. <sighs> but I wake up in the morning, pick up the phone, call God. There's no answer because he doesn't always pick up his calls. There's an old joke I'll tell you afterwards sometime about the, the gold phone in, in the White House. But anyway, um, I really wish I could tell you that God ever sends up a morning with a to-do list and says, Victor, if you do exactly this every day, and you know, then it's always going to be wonderful. There will never be any problems. And damn it, if he still doesn't, just doesn't send that to me. Um, it's important, I think, for me to be a complete and whole being. I honestly believe that's what my higher power wants me to be. So there really isn't any difference between the physical and the spiritual and the emotional and the psychological and the mental and the, all the other stuff. I don't think there's any... There's any there, it's all part of me. It's not that I'm, I'm made up of all of these parts, but they don't operate independently of me. And because I really honestly don't know 100% what God wants for me in the specifics. I do know one thing, and I believe that one thing, God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. That may not mean I'm going to get a new car. It may not mean potentially on one particular given day that I might at one moment not even be abstinent. Although I'm grateful that I've been abstinent one day at a time for 20 years. But that's why I'm going to go back to what I said earlier about the third step is, is I have to do it without any reservation. It's like they do these things in therapy and acting classes where you fall backwards and people catch you to build trust. And I just got to let go. So when I'm confused about what I'm supposed to do in any particular given part of my life or situation, what I've come up with this is what I say to myself or out loud if I feel I need to. How can I be of service in this situation? Whether it's to me or to someone else. Or if it's just deciding whether I want to open up the can of tuna or the can of this whatever for, for lunch. If I'm really uncertain, I can pick up the phone and I can call someone. Because once again, as I said earlier, my connection to my higher power is through other people. So if you're faced with something and you're not really sure what to do, and that's what I took in the question that was being asked, rightly or wrongly, is, is that take a moment and stop and ask yourself, how can I be of service in this situation? How can I do your will? And then I just have to put one foot after the other, and if I make a mistake, I'll learn from that and do it differently next time. I hope that answered the question. 
Do you find it easier to turn over your will in decisions about food or about mundane life decisions? Example, how to respond in a conflict or whether to take on a new project at work. Great question. Um, thank you very much. Um, I uh, I have no problem turning over the big stuff. Um, you know, I I have several people in this in in this and another 12-step program that I call who have more time than I do that are my God squad, um, and you know I have learned that if I'm you know doing the mental tennis with anything that I need to ask another person. And, you know, as Victor said, uh, God speaks to, to me through other people. Sometimes it's through someone newer and sometimes it's through somebody that has more time. And um, the mundane life decisions. Uh, work is a whole other situation for me. Um, I'll tell you, I have the hardest time turning over minutia. Um, it's like, you know, okay, God can handle life and death. God can handle, you know, um, the big situations. But, you know, this 82 projects that are due, I got to do it. And um, one of the best things that I have learned to do um, is, you know, we're told to take things one day at a time, one meal at a time, one hour at a time. And that um, without making a decision to turn anything over to God, if I just keep doing what's in front of me, things work out. And, you know, that is, for me, the physical action of turning my will over. Even though I'm not thinking about making a decision, if I just keep doing what's in front of me and not overthink things, because I can analyze myself literally into a coffin. Um, that's what I did before I got here. I thought about everything. I took no action. I just kept trying to figure it out, you know. And it's like making the decision without taking any action afterwards. You know, I can make a decision to walk out that door. I just made that decision, you know. Nothing happens unless we take some action, you know. I can decide things all day long. So, um I, I have, uh, I use Outlook at work, and I have these reminders, which for me has been like the greatest tool ever because I am a slow learner. And um, I have one reminder that comes up that says, God, I'm grateful for this, or it says remember, message to me, uh, to be grateful for this job and for everything that God has given me. And I pause that once an hour, sometimes every 30 minutes. And every time the reminder comes up, I say it. And I've been doing that for years. And, you know, um, I hated my job years ago, and I had zero gratitude. And there are some days today when I, well, a lot of days, I don't want to go to work. Excuse me. But when I see that reminder come up and I say, thank you, God, for this job and for everything you've given me, and the other part is I trust that you want only the very best for me. It calms me down immediately. 
that's how I can handle minutia. My other reminder is to say the serenity prayer. And, I, you know, I like I said, I'm a slow learner. I keep pausing all day long, every day. And tools like that have helped me to um, deal with the small stuff and the big stuff. Thank you. I'm afraid we're out of time. If you didn't get your question answered, please come up and speak to the speakers afterwards. Um, and will you all please help me thank the speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. It is now time to close the session. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help, of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. <laughs>